Hello and welcome to Midweek Online at Christian Life Church. We are so glad that you have joined us this evening. We want to begin uh, this evening's uh, time together with just a, a few moments of prayer. And uh, there are so many needs. I was looking over our prayer needs list from Sunday. There are families that are in need of healing, in need of salvation, uh, so many different special needs that are happening. Of course, we want to remember uh, the nephew of uh, Sister Lori Porter, and uh, he is in great need in Tyler, Texas, need of healing in his body. Uh, we want to remember our elders that are in need, Brother Alvin Leach, Brother Clavenship, Brother Austin Eubanks, and so many uh, other needs that are all around us uh, throughout our community, many people that we know um, that just need a touch from God right now. Would you join in prayer together right now and just bow your heads right where you are and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy towards us. For, Lord, your mercy never fails us. And, God, we bring these needs to you tonight, God, because we trust in your everlasting name, God. Even in the midst of uncertainty, God, we trust that your will will be done, that your purpose will be accomplished, and we trust in your ability to heal, to save, to deliver, God, and to bring us out of everything that life carries us into, God. We pray your blessings upon each of these prayer requests right now in the name of Jesus. And would you say amen? Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us tonight. There's a couple things that I want to mention before we jump into our Bible study. Uh, I want to remind all of our ladies that there is a uh, baby shower this coming Saturday at 1 o'clock in the Family Life Center uh, for Bethany Sonye and little Charlie K. Rose that's on her way. And um, we're wishing the best for this family and want to be a blessing to them as they have been a blessing to this church. So I uh, just wanted to remind you guys of that. And also this Sunday, we'll be back together for worship. And uh, we're excited about everything that God is doing. And um, God has been touching our church in so many wonderful ways. And so we do ask you to join us um, again this Sunday uh, at Christian Life for a great time of worship together. We're going to jump into the scripture tonight for uh, a few minutes of Bible study. And uh, over the last few weeks, God has been giving us so many great messages uh, about the time that we're living in. And, and I feel that that is fitting and appropriate for us to balance ourselves in, and to find our way through this odd, strange season that we're living in. And so tonight, I want to continue in that vein and I want to read to you a few scriptures out of Matthew chapter number 13. And, uh, and let's see what the Lord has to say uh, to our hearts tonight. Matthew 13, verse number 24. This is from uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And it says that Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? The uh, King James Version says it this way. They ask the question, from whence cometh the tares? Where did this come from? 
And so um, I, I believe this passage begins to deal with a phenomenon that we all deal with is at times in life we will face unexpected things. We'll face things that we did not see coming. We'll face things that we never expected to come along. And, and I can think of no better uh, passage of Scripture to describe right where we're living right now than that. Is We have faced some things and some things have cropped up in our life that we never expected. And so tonight I want to talk to you um, for the next few moments about how we deal with the unexpected. And the title that I'd like to give this message is having trouble with the curve. Sometimes we just have trouble with the curve. And so I want to talk to you about that. Would you just pray with me that God would speak to our hearts? Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that, God, it would stir up our passion to live for you, that this word tonight would speak and shine light on the situations in our own life, God, and give us direction and strength to walk ahead fully committed, fully uh, uh, involved in your will, God. We pray that your kingdom would come and that your word would speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. So um, they say that in all of sports, one of the hardest things to do is hit a baseball. Um, on the surface, the mechanics of hitting a baseball seem pretty straightforward. Basically, you, you keep your eye on the ball and you swing. But when you start delving into the physics behind what is actually happening when a batter gets a hit, you find that it is a bit more complicated and impressive than just keeping your eye on the ball and swinging for the fences. Consider that the act of hitting uh, a major league-level fastball is that the ball is traveling in excess of 90 miles per hour spinning around 20 times per second. The distance between the mound where the pitcher stands and the home plate is 60 feet and 6 inches. And the average fastball traverses this distance between one-third and one-half of a second. So if you will snap your fingers, that's roughly the amount of time that uh, the batter has to assess the pitch, to decide whether or not to swing, and to make his move. As an added frame of reference, one-third of a second is roughly the amount of time that it takes you to blink. So it all happens in the blink of an eye. The batter stands at the plate, and he quickly has to assess and decide what he is going to do, where he is going to swing, and whether or not this is a pitch worth hitting at. So from the cocked back position, the forward snap of the pitcher's arm until the ball is released is .03 seconds. Good eyesight, concentration, experience, reflexes, all of these are needed to hit a baseball at the major league level. The average hitter needs about 50 milliseconds to instinctively assess the speed and the location of the incoming pitch. And to squarely hit a fastball, everything has to be perfect. If you swing 7 milliseconds too early or 7 milliseconds too late, it's likely to be a foul ball. And here's the thing. That is just a fast pitch, a fastball down the middle. It isn't even the hardest pitch to hit 
it is just a hard pitch to hit. The hardest pitch to hit is the curveball. Because nobody can hit the curveball. There was a movie many years ago where they made the joke in the movie Major League that even Jesus couldn't hit a curveball. And, and so uh, people have trouble with the curve. Uh, it is one of the most devastating pitches that if it's perfectly placed, the curveball is almost unhittable. In the 2012 movie Trouble with the Curve, uh, Clint Eastwood plays the role of an aging baseball, uh, baseball scout, and he's in the final years of his career, and he's scouting what seems like a surefire top pick. The guy's name is Bo Gentry. He's big. He's strong. He's a corn-fed country boy. He's a great hitter. And he's smashing everything that pitchers are throwing at him. And everyone thinks he's a top prospect until Gus, the character played by Clint Eastwood, figures out that he can't hit the curve. His value was vastly diminished when it came down to the wire because he couldn't handle the curve. The problem with a curveball is that it starts out looking like a fastball. The spin on the ball creates an optical illusion that makes the batter think it will be just another pitch down the middle. And then all of a sudden the bottom drops out and the batter whiffs at empty air. It's the seemingly sudden change that makes it so difficult. It looks like one thing, but it ends up being another. It's the unexpected outcome that throws even world-class hitters off and the reality is that life doesn't just throw us fastballs life is constantly throwing us the curve the question isn't whether or not life will throw you a curveball it's just a matter of when will life throw you a curveball the major league pitcher Doug Glanville said it this way he said the curveball becomes that rude awakening that often derails us from our tried and true plan to go from A to B. The curveball is often just a test, most times thrown to see if you will chase things out of your zone. And so what he was saying is, is that the intention of the pitcher in throwing the curveball is to get you out of your most effective zone and to throw you off of balance so that you don't know what to do with the fastball and you don't know what to do with the curveball. It's easy to see why people have trouble with the curve. Because where we really struggle in life is when we didn't see something coming. When an unexpected issue arises that we did not predict or plan. We lost our job and income of many years and we didn't see it coming. And we're left to adjust with a life that we never intended to arrive at. Or, or someone that we love or a friend, uh, walks out of our life or a, a friendship ends that we never saw coming. And we're thrown off balance and it makes everything harder to handle when life throws you a curve when all you've been working for is suddenly in danger of being lost and, and and your future suddenly looks vastly different one day than you thought it would the day before that's when life throws you the curve and how we deal with these unpredictable and unexpected moments has a lot to deal 
uh, and a lot to do with how we will do in the future, how we will fare in our tomorrows. And so uh, our, our ability to handle unexpected issues and problems says a lot about how things will come out in the end. In Matthew 13, it's a, a powerful passage. And, and throughout the chapter, um, there are multiple parables that relate to uh, farming. And Matthew 13 contains the parable of the wheat and tares. And it sits among these kingdom parables. Jesus teaches in this chapter about the parable of the sower and the four types of soil. And he later talks about how the kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed sown into a field. And then he, he, he kind of segues into a parable about the man who finds a treasure in the field. And a prominent thought throughout this passage is the principle of reaping and sowing. The principle of reaping and sowing are no strangers to the scripture because they are often called the law of the harvest. We know that if you sow certain things, you receive certain things. If you plant certain things, then those certain things will grow. That the harvest is directly related to the seed that we have planted. Galatians 6-7 ties it to our behavior. He says, be not deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Paul is telling us that our actions influence our outcomes. Is that if you sow good seed, then you'll have a good harvest. And if you sow to yourself corruption, you will reap corruption. But our actions influence our outcomes. And we really like that idea. If we're really honest, that's what we want. We embrace the idea that if I do all the right things in my life, that I will have all the right outcomes. There's nothing more frustrating to us than doing the right thing and seemingly getting the wrong result. Because if I plant good seed, I want to get a good harvest. And, and, and I believe that if I sow to the Spirit, I will reap from the Spirit Life everlasting, and, and that's true, but if you want to change what you are reaping, then you have to change what you are sowing. Some of us are dissatisfied with life, but the reality is we have sown some of the wrong things along the way, and we are reaping the results of our behaviors. It's a kingdom principle. I reap what I sow. I may not reap it immediately, but Galatians 6 continues and tells us that we will reap in due season if we faint not. And so there, there is this dynamic happening in this chapter where Jesus is talking about the law of the harvest influencing our outcomes. And, and whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. One of the many struggles that David had in Psalms was how to handle it when the wicked prosper. We read where the psalmist struggled to understand how they were sowing wickedness, but they weren't reaping judgment, at least not in that moment. And by revelation, Dave, David came to the understanding that the law of the harvest will always come true. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. Psalm 37, he said this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of wrongdoers. 
For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. David is saying that their actions are influencing their outcomes. And it may not be immediate. It may not happen right away. But in due time, they will reap if they keep doing what they're doing. Whether for good or for bad. David admits there will be times when it seems like the wicked are prospering and the righteous are not. But also that in the end, the word of God will stand the test of time and will be true. And so in this parable in Matthew 13, Jesus says, A good man went forth and he sowed good seed in a good field. It's perfectly reasonable for him to expect and his servants to expect that they will have a good harvest. It's established in scripture, what you sow, that will you reap. But What he does not know, Scripture shows us, is that while he was asleep, an enemy has snuck in while the servants are sleeping and has sown tares among the wheat. He never saw it. He came and went by night. And so all along, the master of the house and the servants in the house and the workers of the field are all expecting a good harvest because they sowed good seed. But imagine the surprise when harvest time comes. And as the servants go through the fields, they find that what was supposed to be a good harvest from good seed is a field that has both wheat and tares in it. They begin to look, and up from the ground, there's not just good wheat from good seed, but there are weeds that are growing in the field. Somebody has sown tares in the field. They never expected at the moment um, at that moment in time where they were supposed to be enjoying the benefits of sowing good seed that they'd be facing a problem of a uh, field that was full of tares it it really it almost seems unfair because they did all the right things they sowed all the right stuff to get a right result they worked hard they didn't cut corners or costs but they went the extra mile and and they've done everything that has been asked of them and only to wake up one day and discover that an enemy has sown tares into the field there's nothing more human than to get uh, caught in a trap like this and to struggle with things that you did not see coming To be caught off guard when life throws unexpected problems your way. The servants find themselves asking, from where did the tares come? Whence cometh the tares? Where did this come from? The story follows that they scramble to figure out how to deal with this unexpected problem. And they're thrown off balance, scrambling for answers, looking for solutions, ways out of something that they did not sow themselves into. And, and the householder, in exasperation, goes to the master of the house. And he asks, Sir, did we not sow good seed? From whence hath it tares? He asks a pointed question. If I sowed the right stuff, how am I reaping the wrong stuff? How did I get here? Haven't I done my best haven't I done everything right but the first thing that must be established when we're dealing with unexpected curveballs in our life is where did this come from we have to ask ourselves: is this something I planted in my life 
Is this something that I sowed into my life or am I reaping the reward of my actions? Have I, have I planted good seed? See, the tares came from somewhere. The householder knew that they had planted good seed. And he was confused by how you can do the right thing and be dealing with the wrong results. How can I plant wheat but have to deal with tares in my field? And Christians, we need to recognize that just because we are sowing good things doesn't mean that there isn't an enemy in the field too. That there isn't another force at work in the field too. Because our life is not as static as input-output. That I do the right things and I get all the right good stuff. I live for Jesus and Jesus blesses me. I go to church and I am blessed. I pray and I am blessed. And input-output, I do the right thing and God gives me blessing. And so we're left in a state of confusion when we wake up one day and we say, I've done everything I know to do and I've still got tares in my field. The tares came from somewhere. And the householder knew that they had planted good seed. So he's confused by how how can I be dealing with this? Where did this come from? You see, there are two sources. I'm either reaping what I have sown or I am reaping what the enemy has sown. And the unfortunate truth is that I don't always get to control my outcomes. I can plant good seed and still end up dealing with weeds. I can do all the right things and still end up dealing with problems that I did not contribute to. And dealing with problems that I did not create. And so you almost have to feel sorry for the servants because they have done everything right according to the parable. They've done everything right. And then their enemy threw them a curveball. Life looked like it was headed in one direction, but it ends up going another. And they're left in the aftermath of the chaos that the enemy has sown into the field. You see, when we meet the unexpected, we we tend to do several things. We blame ourselves. We say, I I must have done something wrong. I must have sown bad seed. If there are tares in my field, I, I must have sown. And this was the thought of the householder. He went to the master and he said, didn't we sow good seed? He was double checking that the master had bought good seed. He, he, he's looking for some reasonable uh, explanation for how this came about. And, and he, he doesn't understand, did we not sow good seed? A good portion of the book of Job struggles with this very question. What have I done to deserve what I'm dealing with? God must be angry at me because of what I am seeing come up in my field. Maybe God is not pleased with me. Maybe God is upset with me. And he's asking the question, where did this come from? Is it my fault? Did I sow bad seed into the field? And listen to the voice of the master in Matthew 13, 28. He said to them, no, an enemy hath done this. An enemy has done this. The master recognized that the workers were not the only ones sowing in the field. And so we don't get to control our outcomes. We don't get to have perfect control over everything that crops up in our life. We don't get to choose fastballs. We we don't get to just choose hittable pitches. But life will throw you curves. And an enemy will sow things into your life that you never saw 
coming. He said an enemy has done this. And we need to recognize that the enemy is at work in our world today. The chaos, the confusion, the disappointments, the unseen struggles are not always the result of our own actions. Sometimes you live for God and you still get weeds in your field anyway. Sometimes you're faithful to God and stuff happens anyway. Sometimes you do your best and the enemy comes and he sows confusion, he sows despair, he sows dysfunction into your world. And, and listen, he's been doing that from the beginning, from the moment that Adam and Eve first fell. Satan has been sowing tares into the lives of the children of God since day one. And when you look around at our world, all of the fighting and all of the division and all of the chaos, all the discomfort, all of the anxieties and worries and, and bitterness and hatred and division and all of that stuff, it, we didn't put it there. It's cropped up in our field. And listen, it, it's not our fault all the time. Now listen, if you've been sowing bad seed, you're going to get a bad harvest. But I'm talking to people who've been living for God, doing your best, and you don't understand why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. The enemy has been sowing bad seed into our world from the beginning of time. World systems, ideologies, thought processes, he's sown into the world to create confusion and chaos. And listen, if this passage teaches us anything, there's a couple points I want to pull out. Is Number one is that our reaction to the tares is a greater danger to our outcome than the enemy's act. Our reaction is a greater danger to our outcome than what the enemy did in the first place. Listen, verse 28, he said to them, an enemy hath done this. And so the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather the tares? Do you want us to go into the field and start pulling weeds? But he said this, no, lest in gathering the weeds you will root up the wheat along with them. What was the enemy really doing here? He, he scattered seed and then he left. Because here's the thing is the tares didn't have the ability to cancel out wheat from growing in that field. The tares didn't stop the purpose of the servants and the plan of the master. They had planted good seed and that good seed was still in the ground but he sowed tares among them. Because here's what the enemy wants to do is he wants to goad us into making a mistake into trying to fix the problems around us, into taking the issues into our own hands. And we often have wrong reactions to unexpected issues. The enemy left, he disappeared, he sowed the seed and he left the scene because the greater damage that could be done would be by the reaction of the servants of the master. And so this is what Satan does, is he, he tries to present us situations that will cause us to make things worse in our world. What do we do when the unexpected comes? Sometimes we give in to fear. We lose our minds. 
And we start believing every bad report and, and every single thing that goes wrong. We start getting paranoid about people. And, and we start believing the worst about um, our, our brother and our sister and our church. And, and, and we start looking at everybody sideways. And then we're eaten up with fear and, and, and worry and anxiety dominate us. And, and maybe that's not your response. Maybe it's anger and blame and bitterness towards God and towards others. But I'm here to tell you. That, that it's how we react that often creates the greater problems for the master's plan. It wasn't the act of the enemy. It was the reaction of the servants. Sometimes we respond with victimhood. We feel sorry for ourselves. And we question God. Why did this happen to me? Why am I dealing with this? I didn't do this. I didn't start this. I didn't create this. But note this, that the attack wasn't on the servants. They were just working in the field. The attack was on the master. And sometimes you will deal with the work of the enemy in your life because of who you belong to. Sometimes the reason that you have these issues arise in your life that you didn't create and that you can't control is because you are a child of God and there is an enemy of your soul that is battling to keep you from your purpose, to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. And so the servants, sometimes they fall into victimhood, this why me? And they start blaming God and they get upset at the master. And then there is the response of self-sufficiency. Shall we go gather the tares? They changed their focus immediately from harvesting to tearing out the weeds, to pulling up weeds. We got a solution. We're going to undo everything the enemy did. And we're going to change everything that's happened. And we're going to turn this situation around. We've got a three-step plan. God, we know how to do it. We're going to get it done. And we pivot to self-sufficiency that I think I know how to handle this. And we go into solution mode. When life throws us the unexpected. But why, why did the enemy sow the tares? He sowed them because he wanted to destroy the work of the master. He created a problem so that the servant's response would destroy the master's field. And when we handle life's issues our own way, we have to recognize that a wrong response from God's people can be more damaging to the kingdom of God than the spiritual attack itself. What we become and how we react to the trials and tribulations that happen around us can do more damage to the kingdom and to the purpose and to the harvest and to the souls that God is reaching for in the world than anything the enemy can do himself. You see, here's the thing, is their initial reaction was to abandon the purpose, to abandon the plan, to abandon the mission that they were given by the master and to change their focus from growing weed to uh, growing um, wheat to pulling up weeds. And so we cannot abandon the work of the kingdom. We cannot change our objective from growing a harvest to removing the tares. That is what the enemy is aiming for when he sows chaos into our field. He wants to get our eyes off of what God has called us to. Because we are not weed gatherers. We are wheat farmers. God called us to bring forth a harvest. Not to take care of every problem. Not to deal with every wrong individual. 
Not, not to be everybody's personal judge and the arbitrator of all things holy. That's not what God called us for. God called us to water and to harvest and to sow seed and to grow. And so in uncertain times, what we have to recognize is God's purpose must prevail. Even in imperfect conditions, the servants were about to whiff on the pitch. The curve threw them into confusion. But the master's voice saved them from falling prey to the work of the enemy. He said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you will root up the wheat along with them. So let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. That brings me to the second point that I want to share with you, is that you can live with what the enemy did. It's not as bad as it feels. It's not as bad as it seems. The master of the house was not concerned with undoing everything that the enemy was trying to do. Because, listen, sometimes our blessing has to live alongside of our tears. Sometimes our blessing has to live alongside of the curses of our enemy and the attacks of our enemy. We have to learn to live and to serve and to keep watering and to keep working and to stay focused on the purpose of God and the plan of God and the calling of God. And we want things to be perfect. We want input, output. We want to be able to control outcomes. But what the master is saying to the servants is even though the enemy has sown chaos into your word, the purpose of God still stands. Even in a pandemic, the purpose of God still remains. There are people that are still lost and separated from God and don't let the enemy distract you from the mission don't let him cause you to become reactionary and do more damage to the kingdom by changing your focus the purpose still stands and we want perfect but God is saying I will still work among the tares I'll still water the wheat even though some might spill over on the tares I'll still grow a harvest even in imperfect situations because listen, God's promises thrive even in a mixed environment. He said, let them grow together. We spend too much time focused on removing what is wrong rather than watering what is right. And we have fallen sometimes into this illusion that because we are Christian, nothing bad will ever come our way and nothing unexpected will ever come our way and that if we live a certain way that God is obligated to give us a carefree existence where we will never have problems and only experience blessing. But that is not the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture is that there is an enemy at work in the world and he wants to pervert the purpose of the kingdom of God and he wants to destroy the harvest. And the best way that he can do that is getting Christians fighting with one another. They can get Christians focused on trying to root out the tares and trying to, to fix God's field. And God is saying, I don't need you to pull up tares. I will be the judge. I will take care of it all in the end. I just need you to stay focused on my purpose. David prayed in the imprecatory Psalms, God, get them. Take them out. But God did not remove his enemies. Instead, David learned, and he tells us in Psalm 23, that thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
God doesn't always fix everything that the enemy throws at us. He doesn't always straighten out the curve for us. He doesn't always come uh, and do exactly what we thought that he would do. But understand this, he's still God and his purpose still prevails. And he's able to prepare a table in the presence of of our enemies. And so what do we do? We water what is right, even if that means spilling blessing over on the tares. We keep serving God's kingdom and God's purpose, even when stuff crops up in our life that we never saw coming. And we keep giving. We keep living for God. We keep worshiping. We keep praising. We keep moving forward because what the, the final point I want to give you is this, is that God will work it all out in His own timing. We don't have to fix it. We don't have to figure it all out, but God will work it out. The workers wanted to fix it now, but the master could see the bigger picture, and he knew that the right moment to deal with the tares was coming. And he said there's a coming harvest, a coming time where it will all be plucked up. And he said, then I will say to the gatherers, I want you to separate the wheat from the tares. Jesus later explains this parable and shows us that this is the judgment moment. That in eternity God will make all things right and all things correct. Because God knows how to achieve the right result at the right time. And, and God knows how to bring blessing even out of a mixed field. God knows how to bring uh, a harvest even out of a place where chaos and confusion have been sown. The field, the scripture says, is the world. And God is going to do a work in this world. And God is, is going to stay faithful to His purpose in the world. But we as His servants, we must stay locked in on what God is doing and not get distracted by the traps of the enemy. God knows exactly how to achieve the right result at the right time. Scripture says it this way, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And so lately, life has thrown us some curveballs. The enemy has sown some stuff into our field. And we're dealing with things that we never thought that we would deal with. So what do we do? We need to stay focused on the purpose of God. We need to stay connected to the voice of the master. I love this. When they didn't know what to do with the field, they went to the master. And sometimes we, that's the step that we forget is we start trying to fix without first going to God in prayer. So we need to stay focused on the purpose of God. We need to stay connected to the voice of the master. We need to stay committed to the process because a harvest time is coming. And we're living for God's purpose. We're not living for our comfort. We're not living for our convenience. We're living for God's purpose. And so there's some stuff we're going to have to live through and some stuff that we're going to have to deal with. And finally, the last thing that we need to do is keep trusting in God's plan. Job said it this way. He says, he knows the way that I take and that I shall come out as pure gold. Even if it's not convenient, even if it's not comfortable, even if I don't understand why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with in my life, I can trust in God's plan. His name will be glorified. His purpose will be accomplished. And so I've just got to stay working in His field, connected to His purpose, listening to His voice, committed to the process, and trusting in His everlasting plan.
My prayer for you and for your family is that in this time where we're dealing with unexpected chaos, confusion, disparity, is that the enemy not drive you into making wrong decisions, wrong choices, wrong reactions, that you be not fearful. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Listen, the work that the enemy has done has done nothing to impact the fact that God's purpose will stand and His promises will remain. And so we just need to be steadfast and committed and trust in His plan. I want to pray for you right now. God, I pray for our families. God, I pray for our church. God, that even in the midst of all of the confusion that's around us, God, that we not be distracted or goaded by the enemy into making wrong reactional responses, God. I pray in the name of Jesus over our hearts and over our minds that we would stay connected to the voice of the Master, Lord, that we not run ahead of your plan and your purpose, God, that we not rely on our earthly wisdom, but God, that you would lead us and guide us because there is a harvest in this world and in this time that you want to bring out of this mixed field. And God, I pray that you would give us courage to step back into serving, God, to step back into worshiping, to step back into accomplishing your purpose and your plan and to serve your kingdom. I pray for our families that you give us peace in the midst of every storm and that you stand with us through this season. In Jesus' name, we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen. I pray that you are blessed tonight by the word of God, that you are challenged, and that you just stay in the field. Don't let the enemy drag you out. Don't let the world distract you or divide you. Don't hate your brother. Don't get caught up in the chaos of this world. The master still has a plan. Amen. He's still got a plan. May God richly bless you. I want to remind you that you can give online at clcmonroe.org. You can give by text at 318-301-3601. And you can give by mailing in money order or check to 6680 Frontage Road, Monroe, Louisiana, 712 Thank you again so much for supporting the church throughout this time. We will see you this Sunday. We're going to have a great time of worship. Let's come expecting God to do incredible things. God is still on the throne and we are still His people. May God bless you and have a great evening.